This is week three of a series called Love. And I uh, felt it was so important to engage this topic, this discussion, because the scriptures are full of love. Love is one of the central themes of the Christian faith. And yet love itself, the idea of love, has been watered down, it's been softened, it's been manipulated. And so our idea oftentimes of what love is, is just completely off track to what love was originally. Because love, the Bible tells us, comes from God. The Bible says that God is love. Not that God does love, right? Not that he shows us how to love, though he does that. But he himself is the definition of what love is. And so I thought, man, we've got to engage this topic because it's so important. Love has become a very fluffy thing and very emotionally driven and, you know, butterflies and, and puppy dogs and all that stuff's great. We love pizza. You know, we love football. We're not going to have Husker football. This. Oh, man, I just got depressed. Okay, let me pop out of that. Let's keep going. Hey, listen, but we love stuff, but really love is this very rich, thick, meaty, uh, sacrificial concept. Real love. It is not life light and fluffy. When God loves and when he is love, man, it, it's, it's rich and it's deep and it's, it's important. And so, man, I thought we, we got to talk about this. And so two weeks ago, um, uh, Dr., Dr. Martin talked about um, and looked at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. And the Apostle Paul there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to the church in Corinth, gives a definition of what love is as it comes from God. What is love? And so you need to read 1 Corinthians 13. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you missed it. But the idea of getting the concept of real love is important. Because again, it's just, uh, it, it comes at us and we experience it and personally we think about it. It's far from what it really is. Last week, um, one of our elders, James Buck, uh, uh, looked at the idea that we're to love God's word. And that the scriptures are full of individuals, different writers, and those that uh, wrote down the scriptures talked about their love for the word of God. You know, David in the Old Testament said that he loved the law of the Lord and that he meditated on it and he loved it. And the reason is because he understood that the law of the Lord was the revelation of God's heart and mind. And so by engaging it, by, by soaking in it, he was able to experience the presence of God and, and commune with God, right, at a higher level. And so he loved it. And we have the scriptures. We have the word of God, the Bible, that has been passed down to us over thousands of years, protected by the Holy Spirit, so that what we have today is the authoritative word of God. We can have confidence that it's the revelation of God's word to us, special revelation. And through it, we can discover God's heart and mind. We can connect to the living God. And so, so important, right? And then this week, as we continue in this series, we're looking at the idea that we were designed and created to love God. And Jesus, as he teaches us about love, tells us to remain in his love. Um, the title this week, I, I'm calling it Stay in Love with Jesus by Staying in Jesus' Love. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 15. That's where we'll be today, looking at the first half of this chapter. We're just going to go through, through it. And so if you want to turn there in your Bible or in your phone, on the app, whatever you've got, get there. And um, we'll also have it up on the screen for you so you can follow along. But um, would you bow with me and let's just say a word of prayer as we get started. God, we thank you so much as we come to you. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We do not take for granted the ability for us to gather together, to meet, to uh, center our lives around you, to focus on you. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Loving Jesus may seem like the obvious result of being com becoming a Christian. Following Jesus is the call of Christianity. Jesus himself called us to follow him. Jesus said, come follow me. This is the emphasis. It's the primary message from Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, hey, come and get eternal life. <laughs> he said, come and follow me, and I'll show you how to live, and I'll transform your life. Um, and so it seems like kind of obvious, in a sense, 
that loving Jesus and walking in relationship with him would be central to the Christian faith. And yet many have come to Christ in different, kind of different emphases on the gospel and different messages. Some of us maybe grew up in a church where the emphasis was on our behavior and on doing the right thing and, and, and following what God says, the list of rules, right? And that became the context in which we came into the faith, perhaps. And so we've got a different idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so we're all over the board on that because uh, different, uh, of different uh, ways of operation that different churches and leaders have. And yet the reality is, what we want to look at today is that a love for God, a love relationship with God, is actually the core of this faith that we have, what Christianity is. And that the reality is, as human beings, we do not understand what real love is. And that's why we're looking at this series, and we've got to get into the Scriptures and discover what love is as it is defined and lived out by God. We have a fickle love. Oftentimes, it's based on the wrong motivations. There was uh, a young lady who had broken off an engagement with her fiancé, and she wrote a letter, penned a letter to him that is kind of an example of this. She said, Dear Tommy, no words could ever express the great, uh, the great unhappiness I felt ever since breaking off our engagement. Please, uh, you know, please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please, please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Sincerely, yours forever, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning the state lottery. Or there's like the couple that was dating, their love was blossoming and blooming, and they were out on a date, and a young woman looked into her boyfriend's eyes, and she said to him, sweetie, do you love me? And he had learned at this point, though he was young, the right response, and he said, yes, dear, of course I love you. She said, well, would you die for me? And he said, no, mine is an undying love. Okay, listen. We are all kinds of angles we come at love with. Right? We, we're just fickle. We're, we're selfish. We've got our own motivations. And oftentimes, we come out of the womb needy, right, needing, and we go through life that way and getting to the point where we can really understand, we really have the maturity to understand what love is, I believe really only comes through relationship with God where we begin to get taught by Him what love is, that it's sacrificial, it's giving, it's generative, it's not just receiving and taking, and it's not based out of selfish motivations alone. But when it comes to our faith, love is at the core. Love is what moved God to create us. Love is what moved God to send Jesus to the earth to save us, to take care of the sin that we found ourselves in, that we, uh, we engaged in. It's love that will bind us to God for all eternity. People who call themselves Christians have many different motives for doing so. Some are sincere, and others, unfortunately, are not. In any case, even the most sincere Christian, follower of Jesus, lover of Jesus, even the most sincere can have this drift in relationship, a drift away from a love that should be the cornerstone of our faith. In Revelation chapter 2, the apostle John, who's been, um, he's been uh, thrown out uh, to the island of Patmos and isolated there, uh, sentenced to live there until uh, through the remainder of his life. He, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, received a vision of the future, and he writes down that vision in the book of Revelation. In the beginning of that book, there's an address to seven churches, and they represent churches that are real churches that existed in his day. And so he writes a letter, and this is a message from Jesus to each one of these churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, one of the churches that's addressed is the church in Ephesus. And this is what uh, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. R speaking to John, Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do, he says. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. 
You have examined the claims of those who claim they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quarreling. All these great things, he affirms them. But in verse 4 he says this, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me, he says, and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, look, you're doing many great things, but you've lost that love, that motivation, that place in which you're to do all these good things from is, to, is the core of it. It's that connection with me, Jesus says. And you've lost it, and you're not loving each other either. And so uh, he, he gives them a word of um, uh, correction. And we've got to hear that. It's not okay for us to walk through our life in this Christian faith without a deep love connection with Jesus. It's not okay. It's not how we were designed to live. The Christian faith is not just about a ticket to heaven that we get and we go, hey man, I'm good. I got my salvation and now I can live however I want. It doesn't really matter what I do and I don't really have to pay attention to it. I'm just going to go through life and do what I do, but I'm okay because I've got this ticket to heaven. I, I put my trust in Jesus. Listen, that's not what it's about. It's about something much deeper than that, much more significant. That's why Jesus didn't just say, come to me and I'll give you a ticket to heaven. He said, come to me, come and follow me. He said, I'll teach you to serve. Let's make, I'll teach you how to fish for men. I'll teach you how to make disciples of other people. Like there's more to it. There's a depth to this life that we're to experience. It comes from a relationship with God, which we have access to. Um, it's easy, as I said, for us to drift away from that, even if we started our, our walk with God, even if we came into this faith uh, in a sincere, genuine way where we fell in love with Jesus and recognized our need for him and just uh, experienced that richness. It, it still can happen that we drift slowly away from that. Uh, I was gone the last couple of weeks, last couple of Sundays anyway, and uh, hopefully you probably didn't notice because we had some excellent men who, who fill in and preach here. And so, um, but I was gone for those that didn't notice. And um, the reason I was gone is because uh, Mary and I, my wife, celebrated this year our 30th wedding anniversary. The applause all goes to her. She's a saint for sure. Um, and she's the reason that we've made it 30 years. I'm positive of that. But, uh, but anyway, in celebrating our 30th, uh, we said, listen, let's do something special. It's kind of a big, you know, number. And so we were going to retrace. I had the idea that we would retrace the steps of our honeymoon, uh, where which uh, for our wedding, um, we were given gifts. I think all of them from my parents. We were given a Coleman tent. And we were given uh, some Coleman sleeping bags that zipped together, which was kind of cool. And then we were given a Coleman cooler, all right? And so we were, we were set. So we, we packed them all into our little Datsun B210 hatchback. And we drove from Sargent, Nebraska. Well, really, yeah, we started there. And we drove actually through this area on Highway 92. And then we hit, uh, we hit the highway, uh, Interstate 25 went north through Wyoming. And we camped outside of Buffalo. And then we made it into Montana. And we camped a couple spots uh, and made it up to where my parents were living uh, in Augusta, Montana. And then we made our way around back down through Missou uh, Helena. We made the little loop, uh, the base of the mountains there, went up on the west side of the Rockies to where her brother lived in uh, Polson around the Flathead Lake. And then we went into Glacier Park and we camped our way up into Canada. And Waterton Lake is where we ended up. It was beautiful. Absolutely amazing. We had a great time. But in trying to retrace that, of course, with the, the conditions that we're in right now, hard to find things open. And you don't know if you can find a camp, camping spot. So we have since then moved from a tent to a pop-up. Uh, and so that's a big move. Of course, our kids just told us we're getting soft and, you know, we've lost our edge. And we said, yeah, we are getting soft and we don't care what you think of us. We got to pop up and that's what we're doing. So we took our pop up. We went into Wyoming and we camped and uh, it was a good time, man. We, we just got away and we, we did what you're supposed to do on vacation. You know, we, we get up in the morning, make the coffee, we'd eat breakfast. And of course, we slept in a little bit. We'd get up whenever we wanted, you know, and then, um, and then we'd eat breakfast and we'd take a nap, you know. Great. It's great. And then uh, we get up whenever we wanted. Maybe we'd eat something. You know, it's just, it was great. It was a great time. We read books and, and, uh, but we've learned uh, over the years that, 
in order to have a, a relationship that where we can stay married uh, that long, that it takes some effort, it takes some investment. You know, over 30 years, we have discovered as we move through the different seasons of life that there are times where it's easy to just fall into a routine and pattern of existence together. And we certainly sleep in the same bed, we're, we're, we're in the same house, but, uh, but that connection, that close connection, can drift a little bit. As children come into your life, all of a sudden, there's these little packages that come, and you, you come home from the hospital, and, uh, you know, for me anyway, I got displaced from the most important person in Mary's life, right? And all of a sudden, I was important, but man, this little package was very important. And, uh, and, hey, that was wonderful, but that can also be a tough adjustment. Um, and, and so, you know, these things happen as you move through life. And then these little packages, they start growing, and pretty soon they, they become teenagers. <laughs> and then uh, everything's out, out the window, and life just gets crazy. You just, I'm just kidding, teenagers. It's not, it's not really that bad. It, it is. But, but anyway, listen, hey. But it's great. We love it, and we love you. And, and getting through those years is fun, and, it, and it's exciting and challenging and all that. And, and you just have to continue to try to, to, to hold on. But it's easy to settle for something less than an authentic, real love relationship with your spouse. It's easy to settle for other things. And then the, those struggles of life come. And Mary and I have experienced many of the struggles that you experience in life over 30 years. Not all of them, but many of them. And it's easy as those struggles come, they produce hurts and wounds. And if not dealt with, if not mended, if we're not seeking reconciliation with each other and understanding, it's easy for those wounds and hurts to create a distance between us. And the relationship just softens. And again, we're together, but really not together. We're not close like we were maybe in the beginning. And so these things happen. And Mary and I have learned that if, and, and mostly Mary has learned this, um, and she learned it w- way quicker than I did, in, in order for us to stay close and keep that intimacy, and, and we've been through seasons where we weren't, and it was hard, and we didn't feel that close, but in order to, to foster that and keep it going, she said, hey, dude, we need to get away. You know, we need to get away. And, and when we were younger, I'd say, what are you talking about? We're fine. I, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if that changes, I'll let you know. I mean, it, we're good, right? Just like a thick-headed, well, and, and, you know, it's not good enough. And she recognized there are times when it just wasn't there, and we got to get back together. And so we would do things, go to a marriage conference or get away for a little weekend and leave the kids with grandma or whatever. And, and uh, she's a big part of the reason that, that we fought for that. But, but I have learned over time that, that spending time together, getting away, focusing on our relationship is a non-negotiable. It's got to happen. And we certainly don't get to do what we did this year uh, for such an extended period of time, typically. But, but it's good. And we may have to make it a typical thing because it was great. It was so good for us. And, you know, Mary brought along some books and uh, relationship books, which every guy loves. We're kind of, you know, so we, but relationships books. And, but, it, but it was good. You know, she'd read them to me and I listened. And, uh, and we learned and we grew. And I learned some stuff, man. And, and it helped me, right? And and, uh, you know, I read my book by General Boykin about never surrender, you know, three-star general. I mean, that was like, but, uh, but, but anyway, but we spent time together and it, it was good for us and we got to do that. When I became pastor here in order to step into this role, I had to sign or agree to a, a covenant and it included, it includes a, um, a commitment to get away from ministry and work on my marriage and ensure that that stays healthy, to give investment to it. So important. If we're going to grow, if we're going to stay in love, if we're going to foster that, because it doesn't just happen. And can I tell you that our relationship with Jesus is the same? He teaches us those same kinds of principles. He presses into us. In the text we're going to look at today, the passage we're looking at today, he presses into us about the absolute essential nature of that close relationship to walk with God, to be found in him, to remain in his love is absolutely essential. We will not live the life he wants us to. We will not produce the works, the fruit, the, the, the evidence of it, the, the, the reason, the purpose that we're here. We won't accomplish it or see it happen if we do not walk with him and stay connected to him. We want to look today at the call of Jesus to stay, to abide, to, to stay connected to him. 
Our salvation is based in the work of Jesus. Jesus spoke about our salvation in terms of a connection with him. Jesus said that we must stay connected to him. John chapter 15, if you want to follow along, let's read the first four verses. This is what Jesus said. I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So Jesus gives a very simple illustration. An illustration of something that everyone in his world would have understood. Uh, Grape production, vineyards, uh, wine consumption was central to the existence of the Jewish people. It was a big part of their lives. And so for him to say, hey, let let me tell you how this works. I'm like a grape vine which they all would have known what that was. They could have looked out perhaps when he was teaching, he pointed to a vineyard off in the distance. I'm like a grapevine, and you are like the branches. Here's how it works. You've got to stay connected to me. Then your life will produce fruit. If you don't stay connected to me, and they would have all understood what this looked like, if a branch gets disconnected, it falls off, it withers, it's going to die without being connected to the vine. There is no life. It can't exist on its own. It can't live by itself. If it falls off the vine, if it, if it doesn't produce any fruit, it gets cut off the vine by the gardener. This is how it works. And they understood pruning, that, that in order to get grapevines to produce the maximum amount of fruit, which again is the purpose of a grapevine, is to produce fruit, not just to look pretty, not just to grow. Wow, what a beautiful vineyard. Never got any grapes out of that vineyard, but boy, it's beautiful. No, that's not the purpose. You, you burn that kind of place. That's not, Jesus like, no. Listen, the purpose of the, of the vineyard is to produce grapes. So, so that's, the, that's the purpose. And he says, this is how it works. In order to produce fruit, you're going to remain in me. And he said, my father, God the father is like the gardener. He is working the vineyard. He's pruning the vines so that they will produce the fruit they were intended to produce. Without, again, without grapes being produced on a grapevine, then there's no purpose for that plant. So some ask the question from this parable, and again, a parable is a story that Jesus is teaching from. They say, from this parable, I got a question, does this mean that a person could be saved and then somehow not produce fruit and fall away or be cut off by the Father and and lose that connection to God and not be saved? Well, I want to address that. Um, I don't believe, and, I, and I'm not the only one. I've learned this from others much smarter than myself, that there are different types of Scripture. There are different types of Scripture that we see in the Bible, and they have different purposes, and we learn from them differently, okay? There's wisdom literature in the Old Testament. There's uh, poetry in the Old Testament. There are epistles or letters in the New Testament. Well, parables are a category of their own, and parables rarely teach deep theological truth. In other words, if we're going to look at how does salvation work, and we're going to take this parable Jesus is teaching and say, okay, let's line this up, and we'll develop from this story a theology of salvation, probably not the right thing to do. I don't think it's the right thing to do at all. Um, but, but parables do teach a powerful spiritual point. And Jesus is making a powerful spiritual point here about salvation. He's talking to his followers and to us by extension how this works. And yes, he gives warnings. If you do not stay connected to the vine, there's no purpose for your life. There's no purpose for your salvation. You've missed the point. So don't let that happen is the message he's making. Don't wither away from the vine. Don't get disconnected. The message of the parable is stay connected. Stay connected to me. That's what he's saying. And that's, I think, the message we should take away. We know the scriptures teach us that we are secure in our salvation, right? We learn from the scriptures that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take us away. When we are in Christ, 
Christ would have to be overcome for us to be removed, for us to lose that connection. Virginian Colonel Byrd was condemned to death by the Cherokee Indians some time ago, obviously um, back in the 1800s. In that tribe, there was a chief who had been a friend to him. That chief said, this man is my friend. Before you can, take, uh, before you can get to him, you must kill me. Well, the Cherokees let the man go free. Um, the believer is held safe in the arms of Christ. And in order for them to be removed from that salvation, Christ would have to be overcome. And of course, we know that can't be done. And so salvation does not generate from us. We're not the source of our salvation. God is. And so for that reason, I think we are secure in it. And we're not meant to walk around worried. Are we going to lose our salvation? Am I going to fall out of grace? That's not the point. And I don't believe that's even what Jesus is teaching here. He is pressing into us that we are to stay connected to him, that we must. And for us to accomplish what God has for us, for us to live the life that he meant for us to live, we we got to stay connected to him. And so the point of the message is stay connected. That's the point of what Jesus is teaching. Well, how do you stay connected? How do you stay connected to Jesus? Um, it has been said that you can tell what's important to a person by looking at their checkbook and their, uh, and their calendar. And not many people use checkbooks anymore, but your bank account, right? You can look at that and say, what's important? What do you do with your money and your time? These are, uh, these are the things that uh, prove what is meaningful to us. Well, you stay connected to Jesus in the same way that Mary and I stay connected to each other. And any two people stay connected is you spend time together. How does your calendar, how does your schedule in a week reflect that Jesus and your relationship with him is a priority? How is it that you're spending time with him? What do you have built into your routine where you're connecting with Jesus? You're not going to stay strong in your relationship with him if you're not walking in that if you're not growing that and building that relationship. And so uh, some ideas, some things that work uh, that, uh, that many have tried and have implemented into their life. If you're struggling there and you realize there's a deficit there. Um, some do uh, like prayer walks or hikes and, uh, and talk to God as they move. For some of us, sitting still and focusing on something is difficult. And so walking, doing something, maybe running, whatever it might be, that activity gives us something to do. Then we can focus our minds on our relationship with God. Talk to Him, listen to Him, interact. How about a personal time of devotions where you sit down and open the Word of God? Or, or uh, you know, now with our apps, we can listen to the Word of God read to us by somebody with an exotic accent. You know, so that's great. You know, like, but, but, do you get, but how are you getting the Word of God into your mind? How are you engaging with the truth of the scriptures and with God through the scriptures. Very important. Personal time of devotions. How about what you listen to throughout the day? You know, I know some of us, uh, it's been said, most men listen to talk radio, you know, which is always edifying and uplifting. But we always learn and grow in our relationship with Jesus through talk radio, right? Right? Okay. Um, No, typically we don't. But but it's entertaining. (laughs) It's fun to listen to. But but here's the thing. How about a shift to something that is going to build you up and edify you? How about, uh, how about some Christian music? Or how about maybe a, a book on tape or an audio book that is, uh, is centered around your walk with God? How about maybe just a little shift there where some of that time that you spend listening to things that are probably not that helpful, how about listening to something that is? You know? And so getting that into your mind. Um, uh, you know, again, a, a good spiritual growth book a book that's maybe a Bible study or takes you through a book of the Bible or, or helps you uh, around an area of, of spiritual development and growth. That's important. And, and uh, building that in. What are you reading right now? You know, or listening to? What is it that you're, you're putting into your mind that's going to help you grow and build that connection, foster the connection with Jesus? How about uh, going to church? Making a commitment. You know, I know, man, we've been in, in the middle of this uh, situation and, and it's weird and all that. And, and so, but it's created a little bit distance in that many, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but many have watched online and gotten into that pattern. And it's fine, but that's not a forever solution. <laughs> like we, you know, we, we, we've got to meet together. Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake gathering together. And I know we've got to be careful and there's things we've got to watch out for, but, but still we've got to get that connection. And so a, a commitment. We're hitting fall here, a reassertment of that commitment to gather together with other believers. It's important. And being in church, you know, rather than saying, well, I'll make it when I can, how about 
I'm not going to let anything stop me from getting to church. How about I'm going to make this a priority in my life? We try to build into the weekend services enrichment for you and, and encouragement for you, worship and, and a message that are going to help to grow you. So being a part of that, making a commitment to that, it's important. I think every strong, growing Christian has a commitment to church and church attendance. How about life, uh, uh, how about life group? We're coming up on fall here. We're going to start life groups again and get those going, and we'll have a fall campaign that we're working on right now and I'm excited about. God's bringing some things together for us as a church that we can focus on for the next year. Last year we had Be the Message, and, and this, this coming year we're going to have another focus, which we'll tell you about soon, but life groups. Meeting with a group of believers, getting that enrichment, that encouragement, that fellowship, so important for our spiritual growth. It fosters and keeps that connection with God strong. How about meeting with a mentor or a disciple, someone that's discipling you? Um, you know, sometimes we've got to look for that and, and take some initiative behind that and say, hey, I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to work to see if I can get somebody that will grow, help me grow in this area. Look, just ideas, but the point is you've got to take some initiative. We've got to work at this and develop it. Um, Jesus expressed the importance of it. Jesus also said that any branch that is connected to him will produce fruit, and it will be pruned. So it will produce even more fruit. Well, what's pruning? What's he talking about? Pruning is the process of working on our lives, both with input, with cutting things off, that forces and pushes and produces growth. So pruning is the process of growing spiritually. It includes things like cutting out sin from our life. Sin is anything that is less than the character of God and what God created us to do and what he expects of us. God made us. We're his creation. So he certainly has the right expectations of us. He made us in his image. We live our lives in our own image. (laughs) We want to do what we want to do. We try to live for ourselves. And that puts us in enmity. It puts us as an enemy of God. And so we've got to work at this. Listen, it's not easy. Cutting sin out from your life is not just going to be a walk in the park, an easy thing to do. It's going to be a battle. You have a sin nature that's going to war and try to pull you in a direction of selfishness. And in order to move in the right direction, you're going to have to go to war spiritually. And it's, it, it's not easy. It's as tough as anything you'll ever do. But we've got to address that. We've got to be moving and, and working at that in our lives. So often we just grow to accept a sin pattern and we say, well, I, just, I guess that's just part of who I am. I'm never going to be able to get victory there. I don't believe that's acceptable. We don't see that in the scriptures. That's not encouraged. We're, we're told to constantly work, right, and address that. Also, learning God's truth is part of the pruning process. Learning God's truth. We oftentimes think something's okay. Not that big of a deal. And God says, no, I don't want you doing that. You know, And yet, if we don't ever hear that God doesn't want us doing it, then we continue to do it, ignorantly, not aware of what God wants us to do. And so we've got we to learn God's truth. We've got to be building into our lives. Lastly, I think it involves obeying God's commands. You know, there's things that we shouldn't do, and typically with sin, we think of, man, I shouldn't do that. But obeying God's commands moves us towards, again, a fruitful life where we're producing the good that God wants us to do. The main point that Jesus is making in this first section is that we are to stay connected to him. As we stay connected to Jesus, he begins to produce fruit in us, as we said. And he infuses us with his life. And that's how we begin to produce fruit. This life comes into us through a relationship that we have with him. As we stay connected to Jesus, we will produce fruit. Let's continue reading in John chapter 15, in, uh, continuing in verse 5. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in the Greek there, the the Greek word for nothing, it it means nothing. Verse 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I love Jesus. The greatest teacher teaches a point, and then he repeats it. (laughs) Hey, just in case you didn't get it, let me repeat. Yeah, I'm the vine. 
Remember, I got a picture I found online of a vine, a grapevine. And it's a modern grapevine using modern uh, methods, but I think it's probably pretty similar to what happened in Jesus' day. But th there's the pieces and components of a grapevine. You got the trunk. You got the cordon, I think is how you say that, which is the, the branch, the large trunk that moves out horizontally. And then you've got the canes, which grow up, and that's what produced the grapes. That's where the buds come and the grapes are produced. And he goes, listen, I'm that trunk or cordon. I'm that, I'm that main structure for the grapevine. Through me comes the nourishment. Through me comes life. Through, through me comes everything you need to produce grapes. You guys are the branches. You're canes. This is how it works. This is the picture he's drawn for us. And he repeats it again just to make sure in case we didn't get it. And he goes, listen, th this is it. You, again, you've got to stay connected to me. A cane or a branch that isn't connected to that cordon or that, that, um, that, that vine, it's not going to be able to grow grapes. Now listen, I, I think I'm pretty sure I could have understood this when I was five years old. It's not hard to understand, and that's what I love about Jesus. He makes it powerful. He makes it, helps us understand the spiritual truth. And it's so important. He's saying, listen, you can't do it apart from me. You will not, you'll, you'll wither and die. Your life will wither and die. You'll fall into sin patterns. You won't have any power. You will not be producing the fruit that I want you to produce. Um, the next picture is what a grapevine that has been pruned and cared for. It's productive. Beautiful grapes on it. That's what our life is supposed to look like. We're producing that beautiful spiritual fruit. Uh, we moved into a place almost exactly a year ago. Well, it was actually the 1st of July, but um, right around this time, we moved into a place out by Lake Minotaire, and God opened up for us uh, to live out there. And nice garden plot that the previous owners had put together and developed. And uh, one of the entrances to the garden has an arch that's been built, and it has a grapevine on it. And last year, we got some grapes off of it. It was kind of fun. Uh, Mary, my wife, made some grape jelly out of it, which is fantastic. I love that. Well, this year, um, this grape vine just went nuts. I mean, honestly, I didn't do any pruning. I, I stuck the hose down the, the root, you know, the little hole where the roots, and I turned it on like three times, you know, left it run for an hour or whatever, <laughs> make sure I had plenty of water. And this thing just went crazy. And so last week, um, just, this last, just this last week, Mary uh, harvested the grapes, most of them, and, uh, and made, again, grape jelly. She got like 100 jars. I mean, it has to be double what it was last year, or more than double. It's crazy. But, but this, is what, um, this is what can happen. This is what is supposed to happen with our lives, that we are connected to the vine as branches, and we grow, right? We grow and develop. And we're, through our connection with him, he strengthens us, he teaches us, and pretty soon we're producing this fruit, a spiritual fruit. And, and this is what God's intention for us is. This is what Jesus wants us to do and accomplish with our lives. And so the different portions of the vine we can understand and we can see this is what we're supposed to do. Um, Jesus, uh, in this process, what's most one of the most powerful concepts to me, if I just step back for a minute and think and look at it, is that God has work that he wants to do in this world. Good things that he wants to do. And of course, he's contra to sin and the sin patterns that we have and the curse of sin that we have on the world. And he's working to bring about his will and, and good, right, in the world. This is what God's about. And somehow, in his sovereignty and his plan, he created this process of producing good in the world to include me and to include you. We're right in line with this. The good in the world is the grapes, right? That's the fruit. We are the branches that grow the grapes. I do not understand this because I know myself and I know what I produce with my life. It's not good and never has been. And on my own, I won't produce anything good that, that would be looked at and said, man, that's a really good thing. You did something really good there. Pure and right, righteous and holy. I can't do that. But God says, hey, I'm going to connect you to me, and then you're going to be able to produce, and you're going to produce good fruit. And that's for you, <laughs> not just me, for each one of us. This is what God has for us with our lives. You want to talk about purpose and meaning? You want to talk about uh, transformation and miraculous things? Is that 
us, and I'm just speaking for myself, but I know that's not what my life will produce. But it can if I will get connected to Jesus. It's a miracle. It's amazing. God just should do all of his work apart from us because so often we struggle. We don't get it right. But he has put us right in line. It's his plan, and he works through us. Charles Ryrie is a great uh, theologian and writer. And When I got to Bible school at 18 years old, I got a Ryrie study Bible. I still have it. The covers are worn off, and pages are falling out, but it has a lot of highlighted stuff, and I used it as I went through my Bible college years, and uh, it was such a great time, such a growing time. And, and Charles Ryrie had the notes at the bottom that helped me understand those tough passages I didn't get. And, and uh, he, he has written something about uh, fruit and the spiritual fruit that we're to bear. He said every authentic Christian will bear fruit, all right? But he said a couple of caveats or, or points to note. First of all, he said they will not bear fruit at all times in their lives. There are seasons where there's not going to be fruit production. Uh, Grapevines don't produce grapes year-round all the time. There's seasons of rest. There's seasons where they're not producing. And so uh, there's something happening in the vine. There's growth happening in the branches, but they're not necessarily producing fruit all the time. So remember that. For you type A personalities that constantly want to be doing something, being productive all the time, you get frustrated that you're not seeing uh, what God's not doing something. Why, is, why aren't things happening? Look, it's okay. You're not supposed to. You need to rest sometimes, and God has other things that he's doing in you. Second thing that Dr. Ryrie pointed out is that they will not always bear visible fruit. So though every Christian is going to bear fruit through their life, it's inevitable it's going to happen if they stay connected to the vine, that it's not always going to be visible. And in some ways, this whole idea of bearing fruit has been used in the church a little bit to maybe judge others, be a little critical. I'm not sure. Are they bearing fruit? Do I see fruit? of? Now listen, some of that's legitimate and I understand it, but I don't think that's the primary purpose of this whole teaching on fruit. It's for each one of us to understand how this works and how we're to live the Christian life. But not always going to be visible fruit. There's someone around you that claims to be a Christian. You may not see visible fruit. doesn't mean that they aren't producing any fruit. Thirdly, he says this, they will produce the fruit that God has created them to produce, not the fruit that you think they should produce. So you might have an idea. You know, I heard it said a long time ago when I started getting involved in ministry that Christian leaders would say this, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's how it can be sometimes. And I might be guilty of that sometimes too. Um, but, but here's the truth, that uh, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one that, that uh, gives gifts and that we've all been created differently and there's different fruit we're to produce. But the point is that Christians will produ- produce fruit in our lives, spiritual fruit. It starts with Christian character, with godly character, that infusion and that transformation of who we are. Galatians 5, and 23, the Apostle Paul and the inspirational Holy Spirit, writing to the church in Galatia, describes this process, what is the effect of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our lives. He says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. First one's love. That's why we're talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I always chuckle when I read that. Paul says, you can do as much of this as you want. (laughs) Don't throttle back. Just love, love, love. There's no end to it. The truth is, most of it, he should have said, (laughs) make sure you're doing these things, you know. Um, but, uh, but anyway, this is the evidence of the presence of God in our lives. It's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces. Uh, Charles, Dr. Ryrie also noted five different types of fruit found in the Bible. First of all, he said a Christ-like character, which comes from Galatians 5, and 23, also from 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 8. Christ-like character is one fruit that will be produced. Another type of fruit that he notes in the Scripture is a life characterized by good works. You can find an example of that found in Colossians 1.10. The third type is a faithful witness, evidenced in Romans chapter 1, verse 13. The fourth type, a pair of lips that praise God, noted in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. And lastly, a generous giving of one's money, found in Romans 15.28. So he, he says these are different types of fruit, that the Christian life will produce, and they're found in Scripture. Now, some say that the fruit is produced effortlessly simply by abiding in Jesus. 
And I've heard this throughout my life. I've run into different people. And I always think they're kind of like um, the movie, The Big Lombowski, you know, with the dude. And he said, hey, man, just abide, just abide, right? And, and they have this philosophy and idea about living the Christian life. And I love it. I kind of know where they're coming from a little bit. But, uh, the, but I'll be honest, the, the, the idea that there's effortless growth in our life is not something I've experienced. To walk with Jesus and to grow and to see spiritual fruit produced has not been something that just happens. It's taken effort. It's taken work. Uh, and and, and it, again, it, it's just not something that's just magically happened by just chilling out and relaxing and having a, a cool glass of lemonade. You know, it's working. And so I think if we look at the life of Jesus and the disciples, we see this same type of life. Jesus worked so hard that he had to take breaks. He's the son of God. And he had to take breaks. He had to get away and rest because he had worked so hard, worked to a point of exhaustion. And so I think that effort and work is going to be part of our life of producing spiritual fruit. Um, The funny thing is, or the sad thing is, that even though we have this opportunity to live connected to God, that oftentimes we choose to live out of our flesh instead. We try to produce good out of our own effort. We know that we can't produce real good spiritual fruit. We see it here. Jesus tells us, can't do it without staying connected to him. But so often, at least I do and have, try to produce fruit on my own. Well, I'm going to take over. I'm gonna, I got to do this, you know. And so uh, I don't know why that happens, but it does. And, and, and it's kind of like the, the Amish gentleman lived out in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and he, had, um, he, he entered a lottery and he won a car brand new car and took it home. But because he was Amish, didn't believe in using the technology. And so he uh, did a little rigging on it and was able to hook it up to a couple of his workhorses. And he had them pull him around in the car. Now that kind of defeats the purpose, right? The car has an engine that has way more power than a couple of horses. And yet he didn't want to access that power because of some conviction. Well, the truth is we live our lives oftentimes that way. We could have access to the Holy Spirit, to the power uh, and presence of Jesus, but we say, well, I'm going to try to do this on my own. i got to do this on my own. And, and we walk that way. And it leaves us, uh, we don't produce the fruit. We just don't produce the spiritual fruit. We can produce some things that look good. We can do some things that, that we can point to and say, hey, no, I'm doing good work. But we're not producing the spiritual fruit that will last So we're to stay connected to Jesus as a branch stays connected to the vine. In staying connected, we will produce spiritual fruit as we live our lives in Jesus. Lastly, Jesus touches on the real context of the connection we're to have with him. He calls us to stay in his love. To stay in his love. Staying in Jesus' love happens by obeying his commands. Let's continue reading in John chapter 15. Let's continue in verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Pay attention. This is important. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I, chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command, love each other. So love is demonstrated by obedience. Jesus said, I obey the Father. That's how I live in a love relationship with the Father. If you want to walk in me, if you want to stay in relationship with me, and and you want that love relationship to foster, obey me. Obedience is tough. Obedience is hard. Obedience is where the rubber hits the road. It's where my will runs into what God's will is. And i got to decide if I'm going to bend my knee and do what he wants me to do or if I'm going to do what I want to do. And each and every moment of the day, I've got those decisions to make. Every conscientious parent recognizes how difficult it is to exercise his or her God-given authority over his children. The delicate balance between being tough yet tender is not easy to maintain. Many parents intensify a rebellious spirit by being dictatorial and harsh. 
Others yield when their uh, authority is tested. When a strong-willed child resists, the pressure to give in for the sake of peace and harmony can be overpowering. Like the mother who, raising her little son, got so frustrated with his behavior, his resistance, but she wanted to have the last word. She knows she was supposed to be the authority. And so uh, after a difficult, frustrating day, she threw up her hands and, and kind of said in a loud voice to her son, All right, Billy, do whatever you want. Now let me see you disobey that. Instant obedience is the only kind of obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God asks us to move in obedience, we need to move. Warren Wearsby quoted Peter Forsyth. He said this, he was correct when he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Who is it that you're going to listen to? Who are you going to obey? Who is it that you're going to follow? Yourself? Someone else, the world's ideas and philosophies, the, the enemy's voice in your head, are you going to follow Jesus? Jesus summarizes, as he's done in other places, the greatest commandment. He said, if you love me, obey my commands. And here's my commandment. And when we see him say this commandment, it means it's right at the top. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest proof of that love, Jesus says, is sacrifice. When a you lay down your life for a friend, man, there's no greater evidence of love. Jesus, in an act of great love, gave his life for you. Jesus uh, humbled himself, took on a body, came from heaven where he communed with God, with all authority and dominion, worshiped as he deserves. He humbled himself, put aside some of those attributes of deity, walked as a human being, took on flesh, uh, felt the effects of sin, suffered, was misunderstood, accused of uh, crimes he did not commit, was uh, put on a cross, nailed to it, suffered and died. And in dying, he paid for your sin. What a great act of love. It is this love this gritty, bloody, sacrificial love, this passion that allows you and I to walk with God, to have a relationship with him, to, to be reconciled to God. Out of great love for Jesus, most of the disciples, church history tells us, were martyred for their faith. Jesus said, go out and share the gospel. They did, and they suffered death for him. Parents and grandparents suffer, uh, or sacrifice, excuse me, out of great love for their children and grandchildren. They give. We are called to sacrifice. Will you lay down your pride and personal agenda? Will you sacrifice your right to be right? Will you show grace and forgiveness to each other? Will you allow different views on this Wuhan COVID virus thing? Will you allow somebody to have a different view than you? Who's a follower of Jesus? Who loves God? Will you allow that? Will you obey Jesus' command? and thus remain in his love so that you can stay spiritually alive and productive by loving each other. Above all, stay in love with Jesus. God, thank you for your call to our lives. You call us into relationship with you, to walk with you in love, to commune with you, to abide with you, yes, and also to grow with you, to be pruned, to be developed, to grow, to produce fruit with our lives that glorifies you and honors you. Father, help us as we walk through this life. So many of us, myself, don't understand what love is and struggle with the concept to really live it out, to really understand it. And yet you are love and you want to teach us how to love, how to walk in it, how to swim in it, how to live in it, and how to produce from that love relationship good with our lives. God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Remind us each and every day of the relationship, the intimacy, the opportunity that we have to walk with you. And God, help us to walk in that so that we can produce with our lives the fruit you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.